We're living in unusually stressful times. How have you been coping? The isolation of the pandemic has caused many to deal with their anxieties in unhealthy ways. Unfortunately, for many, this triggers problems with alcohol. Have you noticed increased drinking to cope with the anxiety or loneliness? Or has someone near you expressed concerns about your drinking? If so, it might be time to call in Synergy for your confidential and convenient alcohol and substance abuse evaluation. Call the schedule today at 314-649-STOP. That's 314-649-STOP. Or book online at www.insynergystl.com. This is the Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Hey, welcome to the Medical Beat. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. This is 97.1 FM Talk. And today uh, we're going to be talking to uh, uh, Dr. Laura Chakis. Uh, Dr. Chakis is a clinical psychologist. She heads up the group uh, the CBT and Mindfulness Center, which is in Creve Core. And today we're going to be talking about anxiety. And I, I think there's a, a lot of that going around recently for reasons I don't even have to explain. And, uh, and she's also going to be specifically talking about anxiety. Uh, so specifically talking about a certain treatment for anxiety, which is CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, which is one good way to uh, deal with anxiety. But uh, before we get started, uh, hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Hey, thanks for being on the show again. I know you're kind of, kind of a fan favorite, so thanks for being here. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I enjoy it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You bet. Hey, so so before we get into the to the stuff about CBT for anxiety, uh, I, I think everybody wants to know how, how are you. How are you doing your psychologist job these days with COVID? Are you seeing everybody online or by telephone or how are you doing that? Yes, mostly online. We're not seeing anyone in our office currently. So we are doing online therapy, which is HIPAA compliant. We have software that makes it really quite easy and simple for our patients to just log in from home and do their regular weekly session or whatever they want to do with their therapist. And we also have uh, psychiatrists as well who are doing telehealth as well. So nice. yeah, it's been, it's been very different, but we've gotten used to it over the past five months and really kind of ironed out all the hmm. hiccups and really it's been working smoothly. Oh, that's good. That sounds good. So, uh, so when the pandemic's over, are you going to keep on seeing people uh, uh, remotely? You think, or are you going to start going? That's in a great in person? question. Definitely, we would yeah. love to get back to the office. I think all of us have found that it it definitely works online, and it's definitely better than not in therapy at all. But I think that it's still ideal to meet in person. So, we are planning to come back to the office and see people in person. However, if there's some people that have really found that they prefer meeting online, we are open to that as well. So we'll probably do some combination, but I'd say mostly back to oh. in person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how uh, are you seeing more anxiety than usual or people uh, generally? Oh, more yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, we are seeing, I mean, we are getting yeah. way more referrals than we ever have. It's right. You know, it's one of those things great for business, but it's it's really sad state of of 
you know, mental health in our society, in our community, we are getting with people with anxiety and depression. A lot of people that, you know, we haven't seen for years are coming back and saying, I, I need some help again. And right. um, yeah, we're happy to help, but it is sad that there's so much anxiety going on yeah, right the, now. The, the mental health business is booming these days, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But hey, so, so I, I guess, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about, uh, using CBT for anxiety. Uh, can you, uh, can you tell us about that? Uh, like what, what is CBT and how does it work and how, how does that work for anxiety? Sure. Yeah. So CBT, as you mentioned, stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So we're really looking at the interplay between our thoughts, our behaviors and our emotions. And so when we talk about anxiety, we really want to look at and help our clients identify the thoughts that are contributing to their anxiety. So for instance, you know, nowadays we may hear people say like, uh, have a thought like I'm going to get COVID and die. Hmm. And, you know, as we're listening to that, we can hear maybe some distortion. So we may have them examine the evidence, like what is, what makes you think that thought? What is, you know, where's the evidence that that thought is true? And they'd yeah. say, well, you know, lots of people are getting COVID and dying. And so that would be their evidence for it. And then mm -hmm. we'll say, is there any evidence against it? Can you think of any reason why that thought isn't true or isn't completely true? And they could mm -hmm. say, well, I am wearing a mask wherever I go. I'm not going out very often. I'm doing the proper hand washing. I'm, I'm pretty healthy. I'm, you know, doing what I can to to stay healthy. And so, often we have to help them come up with some of this evidence because when people are really anxious, they have trouble coming up with that evidence. Oh, but yeah. it's, you know, identifying and then examining and challenging those um, thoughts that aren't healthy or that are making them feel anxious and then helping them develop healthier, uh, more accurate thoughts. So maybe from that one, we might help them change it to, it's, it's unlikely I'm going to get COVID. And if yeah. I do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to handle it. And it's very unlikely that I'll actually die from it. So kind yeah. of just, you know, not taking the complete opposite, like, I'm never going to get COVID because we can't say that for sure. Yeah. But we want to just kind of help them see that it's not as likely as their brain is is making it seem. Yeah, yeah. No, so guess, that's yeah. the thinking part. We also then, like I said, behavioral, we'll have them do some behavioral experiments or exposures if they're avoiding things that, you know, that maybe, you know, if they're saying like, I can't even go outside my house, I can't even walk my dog. We'll say, well, why don't you try? Just walk around the block you know, keep your distance from people, but try and see how, how you feel and do little like gradual, we call them exposures to the, to the fear. And it actually that will make them feel more anxious at first sometimes, like, you know, uh, mm. doing something scary is, is not easy, but if they do it gradually and just do a little bit at a time, they're usually, um, surprised that they are able to tolerate it. And then over time, it gets easier and easier. And then their yeah. life can be more opened up, you know, they're able to go outside and, and do some things even within the limits of what we can do currently. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the behavioral part is kind of like getting them to helping them to do the stuff that they're afraid of doing. And if they do it enough, it, it becomes no big deal after a while. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. And, and I guess the cognitive part is the, is that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the anxiety comes from irrational thoughts and stuff like that. Like people think people think I'm going to die when actually chances of them dying are pretty small. Is, is it stuff like that? 
Yes, exactly. It's often this all or nothing thinking that people get stuck in. So thinking that things are much more likely than they actually are to occur, thinking that, you know, I'm definitely going to die when there's really just a small chance of that. Uh -huh. Or another common distortion we hear is nobody likes me when in reality, it, that's, you know, maybe just a few people don't like you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, it's like, there's no way it's like nobody likes you because some people haven't even met you. Do, do you tell that to your clients sometimes? <laughs> uh, we yeah. haven't used yeah. that one now, but uh, maybe yeah. next time. Yeah, That's a not, great yeah. idea. Yeah, it's not everybody. <laughs> some people don't even know you. Right. Maybe you shouldn't make me a therapist, right? No, right. Uh, that might be a little yeah. offensive. Yeah. Maybe, if they have a great sense of humor like you, I think it would work. Right. But you have Maybe to be so. very careful with when you use those uh, yeah. those interventions. Yeah. Just to say safe, probably you should do the therapy. I should stay out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. good. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, commercial break coming up. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk more about CBT for anxiety. Be right back. You're listening to The Medical Beat. Hey, we're back. Uh, you're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we're here with Dr. Laura Shackus. And we've been talking about anxiety and CBT. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a, a very good and proven treatment for anxiety. And what we were talking about before the break was that anxiety is that uh, CBT part of that is based on, you know, a lot of anxiety is based on irrational thought. So it helps to correct that and also helps people to, to gently do the things they're uncomfortable doing. So it feels easier, easier uh, to do those things. But we're going to talk more about that. Uh, and I think the, the first thing I wanted to ask about is, uh, can you tell us, are there other things that CBT is used for or other types of anxiety kind of issues or what, what, what else is this thing uh, usable for? Yes, great question. We we commonly use CBT for depression as as well as as anxiety as we've been talking about. And then, you know, I guess other, you know, as you said kind of types of anxiety or, or maybe offshoots of that. Um one of the common ones we treat is obsessive compulsive disorder, commonly known as OCD. Mm. So it's, you know, similar has definitely an anxiety component, but um, CBT or in particular exposure and response prevention, which is a particular type of CBT, is really the only treatment that has been proven effective for OCD. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some medications that, that have been proven effective somewhat, but really to get to the the root and the, um, as we don't say cure so much, but I guess really to eliminate the symptoms of OCD, you have to do this this type of treatment, exposure to the, basically, as I said before, with exposure, exposure to the feared uh, situations, and then the response prevention is preventing them or helping them learn to prevent themselves from doing the compulsions. Oh, so yeah. that is, is really important. And one other thing I want to mention that, that we treat that a lot of uh, places don't treat because you need a, to be specialized in it is uh, uh, sorry, I'm going blank on the BFRBs uh -huh. for um, yeah. 
but yeah, b- these, body uh, focus. Skin picking, right, body focus. Sorry, sorry I've gone blank on the title. The <laughs> thing right. I treat the most. Of long day, long body, day. <laughs> yeah. Body focused repetitive behaviors. It's a little bit of a tongue twister there, but we commonly might know this as skin picking, hair pulling. Um, these behaviors are compulsive in a way similar to OCD, but actually uh, quite different as well. But we use CBT and mindfulness to treat these disorders as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The hair picking, body, uh, skin picking. Yeah. And, the, and, yeah. and, and so you guys. And they're actually, yeah, yeah, quite common. Like they say now, like one in 20 people does one of these disorders. And a lot of people don't even know that there is a disorder. We, you know, hmm. these disorders have been in the DSM for years, you know, trichotillomania, skin picking disorder, relatively new in the past five or so years. But it's, uh, you know, quite common and people don't realize that they can get help for this. So we really want people to know that help is available and they can significantly reduce their behaviors. So I think that's a good thing to know that these are, these are called BFRBs, not, 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 not not to be confused with BFF, but BFRB, like uh, (laughs) body focused repetitive disorders, which is, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have that, it's very different than having a BFF, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and and I, I it's one thing you mentioned is what what do you think as far as like pills versus therapy is is one better than the other? Or there's some people who do better than with one than the other. Or what? what and I I know therapy is your thing, but what, what do you think about yeah. one versus the well, other? Well, you know, yeah, for for severe anxiety and depression, the research shows that a combination of medication and therapy is the the best treatment approach. So we do often refer to psychiatrists. We have a couple psychiatrists in our practice as well. But we, what, what research has found is to, to just medication alone isn't going to be sufficient because, well, one, you, they'd have to take medication their entire lives. They're not going to ever really be free from the symptoms without, mm-hmm. without taking the medicine. And so, but therapy, the CBT in particular, as well as mindfulness and, and other therapy approaches can really re- rewire the brain you know, this idea of neuroplasticity, which I'm sure you could talk about more than I could being a medical doctor. But, you know, we know that our brain can change and this therapy can can really create lasting changes in our brain and without the side effects of medication. So there's no side effects except the time and I guess you could say, you know, cost of therapy. But long term, you don't have to go to therapy the rest of your life. Our goal is to get people better quickly and, and get them functioning on their own without therapy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there some types of people who do better with therapy than others? Or, I mean, when you see somebody, do you have some idea of, Oh, this one will probably get better and this one won't, or how do you, how do you know? Yeah. That's a good question too. It's, it's really people who are motivated to get better, who are hardworking and who are willing to be consistent with coming in and doing the homework. You know, there's there's things they have to do in between the sessions to get better. So sometimes when people are, are resistant for some reason or not motivated enough, sometimes then starting with medication can be helpful to get them to a place where they're better able to do the therapy. Or sometimes they just need some more time. They might need to kind of wait, wait a bit until they're, they're ready to do the work because it is hard work. So someone who's yeah really hardworking and motivated and we can help work on that some, we do some motivational interviewing things, techniques around helping them get more motivated. But I'd say, yeah, the people that come in really motivated and wanting to get better and that are hardworking and can come in consistently. Those are the ones that are for sure going to get better 
most quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and to what extent do you think these this is something that needs to be done by a professional? Can people like read a book and learn how to do it, or is it pretty much something you need a professional for? Or what do you what do you think? Yeah, some people can you know just use a workbook. I'd say, but it's it's difficult to stay consistent with that. I think a lot of people will get a workbook or any kind of textbook, you know, a self-help book, and they'll read a few chapters and then kind of give up on it. It's also, I'd say that the professional, at least for, you know, maybe even just four or five sessions can be helpful to really get you jump started, get you understanding the principles of it. it that is, is hard to get from a book. So, I do recommend that if, if people are really suffering with anxiety or depression, that they at least get a few sessions under their belt. And then we, we often do recommend workbooks to supplement and maybe, you know, just kind of continue on the treatment um, after they've come in for a few times. Yeah, yeah. And, and does the treatment really help people uh, help the way that people think uh, with the cognitive part? I sometimes you know, oh so, yeah. So, yeah i okay. mean it, it's yeah. it's hard it is hard and it's hard. not gonna yeah. be like a one and done like you come in and then you're better you've got yeah. to keep with it work hard to it's like rehearsal of these you know new thoughts that you learn it, it, it does take a lot of work and and it doesn't yeah. completely i'd say it's not like the anxiety is going to be completely gone but you may still have some anxious thoughts pop in, but after therapy, you know how to handle them. You can say, oh, there's that anxious thought. I yeah. know it's not completely true. Okay, I'm just going to go outside anyway. I'm not going to let my anxiety stop me. And so you can move through it and past it and on with your life. Yeah, yeah. So people people can actually change, I guess. Yes, for sure. And that's what's okay. so rewarding about this job is that people do change and they, and they change pretty quickly. We see all ages. We see kids and, and kids often change pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something. So so how about um, if, uh, if someone wants uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for their anxiety or for anything else? How do they how do they contact you or your group? I mean, are you guys taking new patients or? Yes, we are. We do have uh, we have many therapists. So we we have therapists who are taking new patients, and we um, many of our therapists take insurance or have a sliding scale. So we try to help as many people as possible. And the best way to find us is online. Our um, the name of our center is the Center for Mindfulness and CBT. So if you type that in, or our website is mindfulstl.com. So you can just Google us or, or type in find our website, and um, there you can you know contact us through that or give us a call. Got it. My, mindfulstl.com. And, yes. Uh, and or we can Google. CBT and Mindfulness Center, I guess. Yeah. Or it's, yeah, the or Center CBT for Mindfulness and CBT. Uh, yes, your way would it. probably work too. I, uh, I yeah. would guess that would come up. <laughs> Google, Google, can, Google can figure it out. But yes, the Center yes. for Mindfulness and CBT. So yeah. All right. Oh, you know, and we're just about out of time. Uh, Chad's starting to play the music here. Uh, so one last question I wanted to ask is just jumping topics. When this pandemic's over, what are you looking forward to doing that you can't do now? What do you want to do? Oh, I can't wait to go out to eat at a restaurant. I love going out to eat, and, you know, I've been missing that a lot. Oh. So I'm excited to go out to eat. Same here. Where, where, where do you want to go out to eat? Do you have, like, a specific place in mind you're going to oh, go to? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know. I love trying new restaurants. You got? Do you have any suggestions? Uh, uh, <laughs> not, not really. I, I, I just have a craving for Mexican food. I just want cheap Mexican uh, food, you know. 
Okay. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I, sounds nothing, good to me. Nothing fancy. Just give me a taco. all right hey well it was great to have you on the show uh chad's playing the music so that means we got to go didn't mean to rhyme there uh thanks again for being here and um thank you you bet thank you bye Bye bye-bye you're listening to the medical beat We're back. Uh, you're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. Uh, glad you're back here with us. And today, uh, for this part, we have with us uh, Sal Raffinelli uh, from uh, Speranza Therapeutics. And, and here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk again about uh, the, the crisis of opioid dependence in the United States. Huge problem in the U.S., you know, heroin, Oxycontin, uh, various other drugs also. Uh, there's something new in the fight against uh, opioid addiction, and that is the ST Genesis device, which is a device that helps ease uh, ease the withdrawal symptoms uh, from opioids. And, uh, and it does that to help get people off of opioids in the first place so that, so that they can progress to the next step in their recovery. So we have here the CEO of Speranza Therapeutics, uh, Sal Raffinelli. So, uh, hey, Sal, how are you doing? Hey, Dr. Harvey, how are you? And uh, yeah. thank you for having us on the call. We appreciate it on your radio show. We appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, it's great to have you here on the show. And we're, we're really excited to hear about the Genesis device. But I think just one thing I think the audience wants to know is, I, I one thing I want to know before we get into the Genesis device is, just uh, so, so I know that you uh, you actually have a pharmacy degree, and and now you're the CEO. Yeah, and now you're the CEO of a company. So I'm sure all the yeah. I'm sure all the pharmacists out there really want to know how you pulled that off. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what, 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 what up yeah. with that? How, yeah, uh, how, it, it was how a wild. That it's a wild road. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. So look, it, it, it's a great question. You know, I started off uh, as a pharmacist. I graduated at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy out in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from there, uh, I started you know, a clinical practice, uh, started off working at a retail store and then uh, moved into home infusion and specialty pharmacy. Uh, I went from uh, managing a pharmacy to um running a couple more pharmacies, and then from there running an, an entire division and then work for uh, bigger companies, uh, you know, after that. So, uh, you know, my career took a, it took a little bit of a, of a turn, and I kind of got away a little bit from, from clinical practice and dispensing prescriptions and then heavily into the management, uh, the management side of the business. And, uh, um, I just figured, hey, look, I, I could probably run, run a couple of companies myself. So um, I just became very, very familiar with how the systems work and uh, was promoted after that and started several companies after that. So um, that, that's the, the, the short version of it. So um, yeah. it, it's been a wild run. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. So <laughs> is, this, is this kind of what you wanted to do all along or, or did this all come as a total surprise to you? Yeah. You know what? Uh, it's a great question. Um uh, love clinical practice, love, love, love taking care of patients, and um, 
it just found a little bit of a niche on the sales side and the management side and the leadership side. And uh, that's where I, I, I constantly got, got pulled to. Um, so um, I, I, didn't, I didn't start off saying, well, by golly, I want to be the CEO. It just kind of, it just kind of happened. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. Yeah. Hey, so, so now, so you guys sell this device, the ST Genesis device. Yeah. Can, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, Oh, like kind of a quick run through of the FDA approval process and how does yeah. how how does that whole thing work? Yeah, so the FDA approval process um, is approved. It, it's cleared uh, as an as a device. Mm-hmm. Uh, devices get cleared. Uh, drugs get approved. Um, that being said, you, you you have to run the product through uh, through clinical trials and um, just to make sure that the product works the way you say it's going to work. So we submitted our data. Um, it, it was approved. Um, it works like some of the other products that are out there, maybe a little bit different here or there. But uh, the process, uh, you know, the FDA, you know, they certainly don't mess around. They don't want to make sure your data is, is complete. Uh, Dr. Taka was extremely instrumental in us submitting, uh, submitting this data, and uh, his paper actually uh, uh, helped us get it approved. So uh, kudos to Dr. Taka. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. So, uh, so I I know that that this device is uh, is pretty new, uh, and I've I've seen uh, I've seen this type of device in action before. Actually, I think it was the the device that came right before this one. It sounds like this is sort of an improvement over the previous device. So I've seen this thing work basically, yeah. And, and so I, so I know it works. Uh, do you think? How do you think this is going to catch on? Is this going to catch on fast or catch on slowly? And what's how do you think this is going to play out? What what do you see in your crystal ball? Yeah, so it's catching on uh, uh, quickly. Um, I, I think right now uh, the drugs that are out there today are you know, are, are great. They, they do a nice job. Um, however, I think the SD Genesis offers some nice options for patients mm-hmm. that, that fit into a category whereby th- this would be most appropriate for their care. Um, so this device is interesting. It, it's about the size of a credit card. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes with three leads that attach to the back of your ear. Um, uh, it stimulates the vagus nerve and trigeminal nerves, which release uh, endorphins. Mm-hmm. And um, the release of those endorphins actually help a patient get through uh, the very difficult process of withdrawal after coming off an opioid. Um, so it, it certainly uh, can replace uh, the current drugs that are out there uh, for this five-day period during uh, the withdrawal process. Um, and and it, it works actually uh, 89% of the time. So it works extremely well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen it work, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty striking because sometimes the patient doesn't really expect it to work because they haven't heard of it before. And they put this device exactly. on and they start it. And a few minutes, a few minutes later, they're like, "Holy cow! I feel, you know, two thirds better. This is amazing, you know." And that, yeah, that is really a pretty people start pretty to feel better in about five minutes, five yeah. to ten minutes. Yeah, and then it stays on continuously for five days, and then it's removed. And then, look, and then, you know, then the patient does have to continue on with their journey, right? So the FC Genesis is just one part of the process. And then after that, there's there's other drugs that'll follow and more counseling. And then, you know, uh, you know, you know, great doctors like Dr. Taka help these patients get through, get through this crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the first step. But I think, I think it's like the biggest, <laughs> it might be the biggest step or the, it's like, it's like that withdrawal process. Um, you, you know, you've taken a big leap 
to the next phase for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, as a and you know, since I'm 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 a psychiatrist also, like Dr. Taka, oh. and of course I, I've also yeah. seen, you know, what what havoc uh, uh, addiction you know causes for people. It's it's terrible. So yeah. So getting yeah. people to be able to quit for a little while is definitely the first step uh, toward them getting better. So, so sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so for you guys at, at Speranza Therapeutics, has, has the pandemic slowed down business there? How, how's the pandemic affected you guys? Yeah, look, absolutely. We, we got caught in the wake of the pandemic as well. Um, you know, everyone kind of ran for cover um, when the pandemic hit. So addiction centers and clinics throughout the country, just kind of everyone was just dealing, you know, with the virus. Uh, now, you know, uh, now that the doors have opened up a little bit, we're starting to get um, um, uh, sales leads and starting to give proper presentations and, and really working through the overall process. So it's starting um, to, to, to kick up a notch uh, for sure for us. But, you know, the pandemic certainly did slow us, slow us down just like everyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully, hope, hopefully this will catch on. So, oh, hey, the, the music's playing. So what? One more question, Sal, before all sure. the music's taken us out. I just want to know, when the pandemic's over, what are you looking forward to doing? What, what do you want to do? So, look, we, we, we are looking forward to getting in front of uh, our customers and, and our uh, addiction centers and really helping them work through uh, proper protocols to get their patient uh, well on their journey uh, to uh, breaking away from from, the, from their crisis. Um, yeah. So, you know, every center is different, and uh, we certainly look forward to working with them to develop the proper protocol. Yeah. All right. Good answer. But, hey, uh, the soundboard guy is giving me the signal, so uh, we're yeah. going to have to go. But but uh, thank you very much, uh, Sal Raffinelli. Yeah, you bet. CEO of Speranza Therapeutics, ST Genesis Device. Thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. Have okay. a nice day. You too. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I say this to you tonight. Let us not forget. You're listening to the Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. And uh, we're back for the final stretch of the show today. Uh, it's been a great show so far. Uh, this is just to be the last few minutes or so here. Um, one one thing I wanna I wanna do for this part is I wanna make a quick announcement, and and that's that. Sadly, uh, the show is gonna go off the air at the end of August. I I kind of hate to, hate to tell you all about that, but uh, you know basically there are a lot of of moving parts to make a radio show work. And pretty much all of those parts are made more difficult by the COVID pandemic. So it kind of got to the point where the show just just didn't uh, couldn't uh, had a lot of difficulty functioning. So uh, so we'll have this week and next week, and then uh, and then there will not be a medical beat show anymore. Um, we might come back. Uh, I'm planning a comeback for sometime uh, sometime later on. Not sure in what form that'll be and not sure when. You can keep an eye on us. We've got a website, themedicalbeat.com. That's themedicalbeat.com. You can check out some of our old shows. You can catch up on any updates we have. So we'll, we'll still be around in that form. Um, I guess, you know, the, the Medical Beat 
kind of started out as the Eye on Health show uh, with Dr. Michael Jones. And uh, Dr. Jones and Eric Robert ran that show and uh, kind of took me under their wing and uh, taught me how to do radio. So, so really, I, I owe a whole lot to them. I, I owe a whole lot to those guys. So a big shout out to them. Everything I know about radio, I learned from them. I mean, that's like three things, but still, I learned those three things from those guys. So I want to thank them. I want to thank Chad, too. Hey, Chad, thank you. He's getting his microphone. Oh, you're welcome. You're yeah. welcome. It's my honor. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and also, big thank you for uh, for the radio station. The radio station's been nice to me. So so uh, so it's all good all the way around. So we'll we'll uh, we'll be here next week too and then out we go yeah but you can uh, catch us on the website so so that's that let's move on to the next topic so so next topic is uh, you might have seen on TV where uh, the my pillow guy the uh, the CEO of my pillow that uh, was on TV advocating uh, for oleandrin uh, for oleandrin for a as a treatment for covid oleandrin is a poison from a plant uh, has not been shown to, uh, to be beneficial in covid and um, and i uh, he's still advocating it uh, I, and i have i have some commentary on that it's a very brief commentary here's my very brief commentary <sighs> no and that's my commentary all right Next topic. <laughs> next topic. All right. Uh, next, uh, there was a study that came out a few years ago, and this, this I think, is kind of a fun topic. So we're going to talk about um, uh, psychiatric illness in presidents. We're not going to talk about recent presidents. We're not going to talk about the current president. No controversy here. No controversy here. We're not going to talk about recent presidents either. We're going to talk about the president's from George Washington up through Ronald Reagan. And, and that's what the study covered. It was a study done at Duke University uh, that, that looked at past presidents and kind of determined what psychiatric illnesses uh, were present in those presidents. And get this, it was about half. About half of them had an identifiable uh, psychiatric condition. Now, now a lot of them were, were things like major depression, or alcoholism, <laughs> but there are some other things too. Um, I'm not going to go over all of them because there's a there, there's a lot of different ones, but I'll I'll go over some of them here because some some of these are kind of interesting. We'll we'll go kind of chronologically. Uh, we'll start with President Number Three. That's Thomas Jefferson, also known as the Nickel Guy. You know, Nickel Guy, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he had really severe uh, social anxiety. Uh, which caused a considerable problem for him during his presidency. Uh, jumping ahead a few presidents, we had Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce, alcoholic. Next, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Abraham Lincoln might be the one who suffered the most uh, from his psychiatric condition. He had really severe major depression. And and this major depression actually started when he was in his 20s. I mean, he, he had a lot of tragedy in his life. But but really, the the severe depression started even before he had the worst of his tragedies. He had times when he spent weeks at a time in bed, hardly getting out of bed at all. Uh, his friends were afraid that he that he might commit suicide. Uh, he uh, left at least one note that kind of sounded similar to a suicide note, although he, apparently he didn't 
He didn't carry through with it. Some people who know uh, Abraham Lincoln said that he practically radiated with gloominess. He kind of had this gloominess that just just radiated from him. One, one person who knew Abraham Lincoln and also knew Abraham Lincoln's family said that depression ran in Abe Lincoln's family. A lot of his relatives suffered from depression. We know depression's partly genetic. So a lot of his relatives suffered from depression. And that one particular person, what he said, what he said is that the, there were two family traits, two family traits of the Lincolns. One of them was depression, and the other one was a great sense of humor. So those are kind of a kind of a weird combination, but that's that that's the story on Lincoln. Okay, moving ahead, Ulysses Grant. Uh, Ulysses Grant suffered from suffered from alcoholism uh, during his inauguration parade. He was so drunk he fell off his horse. True story. Next one. Uh, uh, moving ahead, a few. Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, some historians think Teddy Roosevelt uh, likely had bipolar disorder. I'm not sure what the evidence is for that, but apparently there's some evidence that, that he actually did ha- uh, suffer from bipolar disorder. Uh, right after Teddy Roosevelt was Howard Taft. Now, Howard Taft had something uh, called obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, you, might, you might know someone who uses a CPAP machine while they're asleep. You know, with, with obstructive sleep apnea, uh, basically, it's very hard to breathe once you fall asleep, so people end up snoring really loudly. And if it's even worse than that, then people struggle to breathe while they're asleep. And, and that, you know, for obvious reasons, can be very, very disruptive to people's sleep. Um, it gets worse when people gain weight. And what people say is that Howard, is that President Taft uh, uh, gained a lot of weight, um, pretty soon after he became president, started to have really bad obstructive sleep apnea, and basically spent a lot of his presidency in a mental fog. Uh, he was sort of in a mental fog, didn't didn't make good decisions, wasn't feeling good. Uh, it really uh, decreased the effectiveness. It sort of ruined his presidency, more or less. Next one, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, he had a stroke while he was president, and he had some personality changes along with that stroke. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, um, some say he had bipolar disorder. Again, I'm not sure what the evidence is of that, so I'm not positive. And um, um, uh, Richard Nixon, alcoholic. Ronald Reagan, Alzheimer's disease. Now, now we know he had Alzheimer's disease a few a, a few years after he left office. But some people say that it really started, uh, that it really started before that. Uh, Ronald Reagan's own son uh, said that he noticed a decline um, at about his third year of presidency. Oh, one last thing: King George the Third. He was pre- he was King of England during the American Revolution. Severely psychotic, had a severe psychiatric disorder. It was off and on, in between spells. He was a good president. People like a, a good king. People liked him. He was competent. Uh, but then he had episodes of psychosis, eventually had to abdicate his throne. So fun history. The history of psychiatry. There's a lot to it. But anyway, Chad's playing the music there. That means I got to go. It's been great. Uh, again, I'm Dr. Steve Harvey. This is the Medical Beat. And out we go. Ciao. Ciao.